on this episode of In The Rack Podcast. For no reason that I can remember, I was always drawn to the women's health stuff um, and the alternative medicine stuff. So like if we had a craniosacral therapist come in or a Reiki practitioner come in, I was like, sign me up, I want to be there. And even part of our transitional program was we had Welcome to In The Rack Podcast, where we provide you with a practical framework for breaking PRs in all facets of health and wellness. We are just a couple of bros giving you the simple hows in a world of complex wants. No filters, no scripts, no rules, just straight talk. Talk to them. Now, let's get into the rack with your hosts, Dr. Chad and Dr. Nick. Okay, is the battery full today? It's full. All right. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of In The Rack Podcast. I am your host, Chad, and with me is uh, my co-host and fellow physical therapist, Nick, as usual. I'm still working on that intro. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna change it eventually, but um, Nick and I are super excited again about another episode that we have today. We have another guest speaker on the show, which we mentioned in the last episode. So we had Akil Abdullah last time, and uh, we mentioned how we met him, and we met him through his, his wife. wife. And mm-hmm. we just happen to have his wife here now, which is <laughs> yeah. kind of awesome. Um, so his wife is named Megan. She does have a name. And uh, her name is Megan Hughes. And she is not only a local PT, um, but she she specifically likes pelvic health. And she's kind of niching down into pelvic health, too. So um, she's had quite the journey in the field of physical therapy. She's been in a few different areas of physical therapy, which we're going to talk about today. But um, she also is planning on opening up her own spot in Newburyport, which is going to specialize in pelvic health uh, specifically. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, um, talk about her journey, talk about why she's making the transition. Uh, so it's going to be a good good episode. Yeah, what do you think, Nick? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All so right. Megan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, hi guys. Yay. Hey. Thanks for having me here after having Absolutely. my husband a couple of weeks ago. Um, so let's see. I recently turned 40, which is a big nice. deal, you know, and uh, that means I've been a physical therapist for 16 years, yeah. which feels like a really long time. Yeah. I went to, I grew up in New Jersey. I'm one of four kids. I've got a big Irish Catholic family. I went to Ithaca College. I was a swimmer. Been a, I was a swimmer my whole life, which is how I actually know your client. Ah, we were on the swim you. team together. Got you. Uh, so, yeah, let's see. I mean, Ithaca was a five-year master's program when I went, and then I did my transitional doctorate as a sixth year, and then I moved to Boston after that, and I did a variety of different things. I was in a lot of acute care settings. So I was at the Brigham first, and then I was at Mass General. I was at Union Hospital in Lynn. I did a little bit of outpatient in Kenmore Square, home care. And for the last, I've done some teaching. I did some work at the IHP in Charlestown. And then for the last four years, I've primarily been doing um, physical therapy at different nursing homes up on the North Shore. And most recently during the pandemic where we kind of had to stay put. I have been at the New England Homes for the Deaf in Danvers. So I've been working. Oh, interesting. In, yeah, with the right. deaf population. So I've learned a lot of ASL, actually. Yes, that's really cool, actually. Yeah. yeah. And I'm a mom. Akil and I have a seven and a half year old little girl named Zoe and a almost four year old boy named Sebastian. So, 
Yeah. Yeah, busy household. I know so what that feels busy. like. It's yeah, so busy. So you you uh graduated with the masters and then the transitional DPT was the was it the year after? It was kind of like right at the end Ithaca was working on. I was going to say, because that was like right around the time when right. I graduated and I just sneaked in by like two years. Katie, I think was like the first year or maybe the second year. I was like yeah. the third year. So you were like right before that. Yes. Yes. So I, they basically said, if you guys want to stay for an extended semester, we could start to do a transitional program. I'd say probably 75% of my class did it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you guys were guinea pigs for we the DPT were. program. <laughs> we were. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's probably, good, though. It's better than going back. Yeah. I think oh, you made the right safe. move. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. who wants yes. to go back after no. going out and, no, 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 and no, working no. and oh, all yeah. that? Absolutely. No. Absolutely. What was that transition like, like in that program? Was it? Did it feel like it was chaotic or? No, it was mostly just more research. I mean, okay. I think Ithaca probably knew they were going that way yeah it was no big surprise suddenly we were going to have doctoral programs so um we mostly just did a little bit more research-based stuff yeah (laughs) (laughs) so you're you're really kind of making this transition towards pelvic health side of of the physical therapy and and what kind of made you transition there and like let's talk a little bit about your experience too like in the different settings like you know what settings were your favorite you know what you liked what you didn't like about some of those settings and you know what's the ultimate reason as to why you know you're making this transition towards like pelvic health number one but number two kind of doing pelvic health your way yeah so i even in school for no reason that I can remember, I was always drawn to the women's health stuff um, and the alternative medicine stuff. So like if we had a craniosacral therapist come in or a Reiki practitioner come in, I was like, sign me up. I want to be there. And even part of our transitional program was we had to do a whole business plan for, you know, a fake practice. And my group did women's wellness. And when I graduated, my very last clinical was at Columbia in New York and I was doing like, I was on the heart transplant unit and I really liked the acute care side. And I got advice that if you want to learn where people are coming from, do acute care first. And so I was like, okay, that way I can learn a lot of stuff about medicine. And I did. So I interviewed at a variety of different places and I was between Columbia or the Brigham. And I fell in love with who would be my mentor at the Brigham. She was phenomenal. Her name is Roya Gazanori. And I took the job at the Brigham. I figured I'll be here for a couple of years. I'll end up moving yeah. back to Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I met Akil. And, uh, <laughs> the rest is history. And the rest yeah. is history. Um, so in terms of you asked, like, what did I like the most? I actually really loved working in acute care. It's busy. There's a lot of young therapists around. We had like a huge group of us that were new graduates. Um, There was always in-services going on and, you know, sitting in on surgeries and just high turnover, right? Which I really, really enjoyed doing. Um, I actually had like a brief, (laughs) it's kind of, well, it's not that funny to me, but I was doing a lot of work in the bone marrow transplant unit and it got really, really heavy, really, really fast. And so I left the Brigham and ran a cheese shop for a year and a half. I did no therapy at all. Really? I was like, either I don't like this or I need to figure out a way to balance Interesting. managing like my energy and their energy and yeah. how to take care of myself when I'm working with people who are so sick, like so sick. 
Um, which is when I, I actually ended up working in a clinic in uh, Kenmore Square after that period of time. I was like, okay, I don't want to sell cheese forever. I do actually <laughs> want to do physical therapy. And so I moved back to Boston and started working with a group uh, that was that was trying to do um, more of a wellness preventative approach. However, our insurance system gets in the way. And uh, it, it just, we were just seeing so many patients. I mean, our day was just packed with seeing patients. And I was like, this doesn't feel like wellness. So, okay, let me try something else. And then I got into home care, which probably is what I like the least, I will say. I, what I loved about it is I loved being able to go into people's homes and, and connect with them and see, okay, this is what your life is really like. And I felt like I could relate to what they were experiencing and give appropriate recommendations for small changes to help improve their function. What I didn't like is I would spend all this time and then I'd sit for hours doing all the paperwork. Yeah. And I'm like, this doesn't work either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so crazy. um I ended up back in acute care. I worked at Mass General then probably the, you know, there's a couple of stuff in between, but mostly acute care after that point, because then I ended up at Mass General uh, working with a great team of therapists there, um, rotating through different specialties and doing some teaching at the IHP. And I was doing that up until the time that we had Zoe. Right. So that's almost eight years ago. Um, and then I just kind of trickled down to doing shorter hours a little bit less time a little bit more teaching and um it was when we moved up to the north shore that i started doing some of this long-term care now when i had zoe or when we found out we were pregnant with zoe i will say i just consumed everything i could about pregnancy childbirth postpartum what's going on with my body because you don't learn about it in school right so I didn't know. And I was fascinated by it. And I was like, why isn't this information more accessible? Why don't other women know this? You know, um, Akil and I went to this very extensive natural childbirth class, which he was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> but the second week he showed up with his little notebook. I don't know if you guys saw the notebook. I but didn't. He showed up with his little notebook and he was all in. And it, it was extensive. I mean, the course was... I don't know, 16 hours or something like that over the, over like five or six weeks. Um, and included in that course was the fourth trimester. So mothering the mother and like time at home with the baby. And we touched on a little bit of pelvic floor dysfunction, but not much. And it really was in my own experience after having Zoe, where not only was I dealing with significant postpartum depression that I didn't even know I was dealing with, but I was so weak for the first time in my life. I mean, I had been a swimmer from age six all the way through college. And then after college, belonged to the gym, went to yoga, like always stayed super active. Um, and now suddenly I'm just like taking care of this baby and not taking care of myself. Um, so that, that really is the next big transition for me. Cause then I started learning about pelvic floor dysfunction I 
uh, got introduced to the MUTU program, which is an at-home 12-week progressive core stability strength training. Like nice. Just at-home exercise. Yeah. Loved it. Did it. It worked for me. Went and took the course so that I could implement it into my practice. Always with this goal, like, I want to do public health. I want to bring this information yeah. to people. Absolutely. Um, and it's really just taken until now that... We don't even have time for me to squeeze this into our life, but I'm making time for me to squeeze this into Good. my life. Me too. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. So I don't know. That's... That's a very similar story to my wife's story. I mean, I'm sure you guys have talked, so you we, guys yes, know. Yes. And um, it's kind of wild now that she's been in it for a little while. And I start hearing like, you know, not like in depth of the stories, but just listening to what she says, what other women are, are saying. Like they're normalizing a lot of these things, right? So... It's like just the other day she was talking to somebody and they were talking about like they were laughing about, you know, uh, peeing when they sneeze. Right. And it's like, you know, then everybody kind of gets yeah. on and it's like, yeah, I did yeah. that too. So it's like it's almost like validation. It's, Why like, is that funny? it's yeah. not really yeah. like something to be proud of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and that's also not normal. So like but it's becoming a sense of normalcy. It's like, oh, you do it too. Oh, OK, then it's obviously normal. Like that's not normal, you know, and it's the more and more and more I hear it, the more and more I'm like, wow, something really has to change here. Like we have to address this issue, you Absolutely. know? And, and I, I know like guys are super pig headed. Like we're super pig. Like I haven't gone to, I hadn't gone to the doctor in a long time until like maybe the last two years. Right. Like we're very bad at, and not very proactive about our health, but now I'm starting to see it. I'm like, man, women have it too. Yeah. Like they're the same way. Like they, yeah. they normalize things too. You know oh, what I mean? And like, so much. we're just like, Oh, I'm a man. I don't have to go to the PCP. Right. Women are like, no, nah, I pee myself. It's fine. <laughs> it's know. like, it's not. I, yeah. It's not it's cool. Not <laughs> and the, the not system kind of makes it taboo for, yeah, totally. for women who are pregnant to, you know, it's like, oh, it's painful. And that's just part of it. Like, to right. stop, stop complaining about that. Right. So we make that, you know, it's like taboo for them to, to raise their hand and say, well, I have this going on. Right. It's like, no, it's all it's all normal. Just just let it be. Yeah, just deal with it. And that's yeah, it's it's it really needs to change for sure. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's great that you're doing Absolutely. that. You know, obviously you can relate to a lot of these women cause you've been there and you know that it works, you know, you know that you know, what they're going through, um, and who better to relate to than somebody who's been there and, and surpassed that, you know? So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I love yeah. it. And you brought up the whole insurance thing through your, your story there too. I mean, we, that's what we dealt with too. Like just wanting to provide this service and starting out doing it. But then as time goes on, you get overwhelmed with paperwork. You're seeing more and more patients. Insurance companies reimburse less. So now you have to see more and more people each year. And you just start to get the scale of quantity and quality. The The quantity starts to tip up. Quality's going down, you know, and you want it to stop tipping, but you can't, like, there's nothing you can do because insurance runs it. And uh, it's it's really hard. And I think we're starting, like, our, our, our current patients and clients are, are kind of have grasped that. But I think... You know, as phone calls come in, um, people are are still having a difficult time wrapping their head around that that concept of 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 our model. And uh, you know, the the more opportunities we have to educate on that, the we'll use them because it really is a huge huge difference. Oh, huge well, it's, difference. It's the huge. I I think it's one of the major factors why our healthcare system is just failing. Yeah, it's for failing. Sure. All we do is respond to dysfunction. Yep and injury and illness and we don't invest time in wellness and yeah. prevention and um you know it, it's pervasive from cnas all the way up to like your highest surgeons yeah you know people are they just can't do it anymore yeah 
for sure. And, um, you know, this now we've got concierge medicine popping up where people basically have like a subscription to be able to have yep. more access to their physicians. Absolutely. Which feels bananas. I'm it like, does. What? It does feel bananas. Yeah. You know, and then, then you have like, I know that there's this new uh, private practice in Newburyport. They're all over the place where people are like, look, I will be here to manage your health and wellness, but it costs money for me to be able to know everything that's going on, you know, so you're not going to 15 different specialists who don't talk to each other, who don't read their notes because they don't have time. And so then they, they just put care. you on a medication that is a Band-Aid, a glorified Band-Aid, you Correct. know, so yeah, it's, it's just this big, it's this big vicious yeah. cycle. I, yeah. I really believed, um, that this pandemic was going to be part of the like collapse of the system yeah. and maybe it still will be. I don't, yeah. We'll see. I think the one thing that the pandemic has, I won't say the, just the one thing, but a big thing that has come of it is I think a lot of people are one starting to ask more questions and from the questions that they're asking, they're starting to go seek information themselves. So now they are, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, you have to be your, your own primary care, you know, provider. So, you go find the information. And then if you need to verify that information with a specialist, you do that. But don't just go blind, blindly and be like, hey, I'm here to see you, the specialist, because I was told I needed to see you. What do I do? Right. With no kind of wherewithal or having done any kind of, you know, education on your own. You know, it's it's not ideal that it has to be that way. But unfortunately, that's where we're at. Like, that's how it has to be. And that's so it starts with each individual. But that's where, you know, someone like yourself comes in where you can help guide these individuals through that process which is awesome yeah yeah i think it's very easy to blame the provider and, and unfortunately insurance gives us a bad name pts medical doctors across the board yeah. just because you know somebody comes in like yeah my pt sucks it's like <laughs> maybe they are a really good pt they yeah. just can't spend the time they don't have they time. with you yeah. you know because we've all been in that situation you know same with the doctors like yeah you are one of like 50 people that person seeing today. Oh, man. Literally, probably. We get that um, every day. I mean, people come in and they're just like, yeah, doctor didn't talk to me. I'm like, well, they don't really have time. And it's like, really we got to blame the insurance yeah. companies, you I know? know? And, and unfortunately, nobody regulates these people and they're just free reign and they just do whatever they want, you know? And that's just yeah. what happens. Now, I do believe that there is um, a mild movement taking place where a lot of these practices are going to start going hybrid and, and dropping a lot of these insurance companies. You're already starting to see it now. Um, people like yourself are just abandoning ship and, and doing their own thing because they feel like they went to school to help people and they're not doing that. They're just working for the insurance company or whatever, trying to make a buck. But it's like, I feel like it ruins some great PTs or providers as well, because I know a lot of great PTs that stopped, you know, practicing because they just hated them, the system, the model, whatever, but they were great PTs and that's horrible. Yeah. You know, they, they could have helped a lot of people, but it's just what it is, you know? So I think you have to adapt and uh, evolve. And, you know, this is what we're going to just start seeing going forward a thousand percent. Yeah. And it's, it's too bad too, because the, the, you know, when they, um, crunch numbers on the healthcare system and all that kind of stuff, um, we, we handle emergency situations, you know, we're, we're, you know, top of the world, right. In, in handling that type of stuff. So that gives us this, this, uh, you know, smoke screen that everything's great. But then we have every, the majority of people are dealing with the chronic stuff, the stuff that's been just brewing for such a long time. And that's the stuff we don't do, do well with. We try to we try to basically match this emergency style to the the chronic preventative stuff. And it just it, there's a mismatch. It doesn't work that way. You know, it's just it's it's the you know, the 
the pharmaceutical model really where it's like oh cool we discovered antibiotics in the early 1900s and they they worked they're great right for a bacterial infection but now we give antibiotics for everything yeah even if it's viral which doesn't really make sense i know know. banana yeah yeah right Right. there you go banana is right um that's our code word banana is a code word for when we go too far into the when we start talking about covid yeah we just don't want to get you're technically not allowed to talk about it right so no no (laughs) so let's let's (laughs) that's true let's talk a little bit about your experience in in each one of these settings because you've done acute care you've done home care you've done um nursing homes right like let's talk about the because we do have a decent amount of like pts that follow us and you know pt students so i'd be kind of interested to hear from you in those settings like what was the patient caseload like what was you know because i know that it differ it differs quite a bit from setting to setting, right? And you know, some somebody might want to do you know uh, skilled nursing or something like that in the worst way, and then get there and be like, "Why did I do this?" You know. So yeah. yeah. So I I would say that on average, a full day is usually about eight patients. Usually, acute care, you could see a lot more than that if you're just doing like like let's say I was doing ortho right mostly total hips total knees that's that's pretty quick like you've got a couple of new evaluations but you have documentation templates it's really easy to plug these things in and just get through and get everybody done if you're working on the cystic fibrosis unit and you're doing an hour of chest PT you're not going to be able to see that many people Um, so I would say that acute care is probably acute care and outpatient. You probably have the highest numbers. Uh, obviously, home care you're driving to and from people's homes, so that's probably your lowest caseload because people just live further away. Um, Put most amount of paperwork. Would you say? I would say. Let me think. The most probably the most amount of paperwork. Yeah. Probably the most amount of paperwork. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're the person to start the case. Oh yeah. There's a lot of paperwork to do to start the case. Um, let me think. So, Out- like, with your, um, you compared um, acute to outpatient, right? I imagine the paperwork's different for those two settings as well. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So, maybe you're seeing a lot of patients in both, but you, I would imagine you probably have more paperwork in uh, an acute setting than you would in an outpatient setting, but I could be wrong about that. I guess it all depends on the facility, right? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the outpatient, outpatient documentation, at least when I was doing outpatient, it was pretty brief. Mm-hmm. You know, it was when you were looking to potentially extend sure. their therapy or beginning and end. That was the more, more, um, more documentation. Acute care, because they are acute in nature, there is a lot more medical information, vital signs, you know, positional changes, uh, like acute neuro paperwork is like, you know, you've got a new stroke, you've got the therapist in there trying to pick pick apart all the different things that have happened. Um, so it varies, but I would say, yes, I would say in general, the acute care paperwork is probably a little bit more, there's a little bit more detail as opposed to once you have someone an outpatient and you have them set up with their plan of care, you're kind of doing that for a bit. There's not a lot of change every session. Um, you tweak what you do here and there, and then you kind of reevaluate whatever, every two weeks, whatever you guys do. Um, whereas acute care, it's like the next morning, they could be totally different. Yeah, that's true. So that's true. Yeah, I only, 
I only bring it up because, um, you know, we were never, well, I was never told how much paperwork we'd be doing when I got so out of much. school, no, you know, me um, yeah. if I had known that 50 to 60% of my day was going to be paperwork, I probably would have changed careers, <laughs> you know? Um, totally. yeah. And I think that is, well, it's computer work. Well, it's computer work it's now. Listen, <laughs> listen, Nick graduated like five years ago. All right. I was on paper when I graduated. We were just making the transition to electronic medical records, you know, and yeah. um, now it's a, you, it's a standard. You have to, um, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, yeah, if I had known, I probably would have changed my mind about what I was going to be doing. But um, also it, it really, it really justifies the reason why we also kind of made this switch, which is kind of why you're doing it, right? Absolutely. Like I spent more time with my paperwork justifying why I needed to see this patient. It's like, I shouldn't have to justify it to anybody. If I want to see this freaking patient, I should have to see this I freaking know. patient. I know. You know, like I'm asking for permission from somebody that's not even a medical provider that doesn't even understand what these notes even mean. They have no idea. No idea. And now I have to get on a phone call with you and justify it. I don't understand this. So that was my big gripe with it. And then now we don't have to worry about that. We, we just can recommend what we want for the patient and that's what it is you know um we just write in our notes you know they're about as brief as they get now right. i mean we yeah. <laughs> pretty much so i can understand what i'm gonna be doing asking my patient or fine right. well that's it it's, really you know, it's more for, for us that's now. for yeah. me yeah it's for Which me is the point of it that's right, right. and and for your patient I'm that's like, correct can i take a look at what's going on here <laughs> yeah. or they want to reference it in the future sure. but yeah. it should not be for some strange entity that thousand percent yeah. and that is my, my current job you know i work for a therapy company and i love the company i work for it's a pt runs the company yeah they really 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 try sure. to let us treat as much as we can but it doesn't matter nope it doesn't matter and i spend so much time doing documentation i know and then they want us to do documentation while we're with the patient i was like but then i'm doing documentation i'm not doing patient care i <laughs> cannot percent. do both thousand percent like i can if they're on a bike right yeah but is that no therapy yeah. i yeah. mean they can be on the bike whenever yeah, you know for sure um so it is and and then it pushes you to balance that ethical side of thousand percent and Correct. now you're like well how do i figure out this time and you're basically telling me to make sure that all of the time i'm here is productive time that we can get paid thousand for percent. but like i have to pee i also have to eat <laughs> yeah like am i so i can't do those things? like it's just i mean obviously i they, mean bordering on the line of ethics right like how many of those places out there try to be as efficient as possible and utilize, you know, an aid that's providing non-skilled care. It happens all the time, all the right? Time. I've been a victim of that, you know, and, you know, I didn't know any better when I was doing it. But now that I'm in the situation that I'm in, I'm like, man, I can't believe I was actually doing that. That's yeah. pretty messed up. And the insurance company was still paying for it. Imagine if they were paying more for somebody who was actually providing skilled care for the whole entire time. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. You know yeah. what I mean? You could see less patients, but we could actually provide better care. Probably less visits across the board. Probably cost them less money in the end. You know what I mean? But that's not how they look at it, you know? Yeah. So that's just what it is. Really not. Oh, we could talk about insurance know, all we day. We could. Don't get me going on now, that. I, yeah, seriously. <laughs> now I know, now we've been talking about notes a little bit. Notes are important too if they go see another provider. When you were in acute care, was there overlap? Like, could you see the OT's note or the oh, speech's yeah. note? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. We worked yeah. really yeah. closely that's together. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's, is, and that's like how it should be, yes. you know? Even now. Yeah. Um, you know, my current job... PTOT speech, we work really closely together. Good. We're not technically supposed to. Mm -hmm. well, we are supposed to each right. be on our own time. I know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Co-treat. I get but it. But it's, I mean, 
come on. Nope. I, no. I love it. It's yeah. It, and I've never worked somewhere where that's actually what's happening. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, we're all just going to play this game. <laughs> yeah, you're playing. That's the thing, though. You're it's playing what it is. It's, it's, it's a game. It's, that's what it is. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. You just have to know how to play it. Yeah. yeah exactly. And then they change it every year. So yeah. Yeah. it's not like the directions are the same every single year they change. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about, um, you've, you've dove into a few different things. Um, I know Heather told us, oh, should I said that? Uh, HIPAA. She doesn't care. Uh, <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's, last she's a training client. Yeah. Nick's Nick client. Uh, a client. Heather. <laughs> Shout out, Heather. What's up, Heather? Hi, Heather. Nancy. Heather <laughs> um, told us to ask you about Reiki. Oh, she did, huh? Yes. And that's on our she, list of things she to did. talk about. What do you guys know about Reiki? I know, so I was going to so say that's that why we're asking. know nothing on, about I can't Reiki. the question. <laughs> yeah. We know nothing about Reiki. So Reiki is an alternative medicine. It came from Japan, and I think probably like around 1900 or something. And it essentially is the belief that all things are made up of energy, right? And there's a life force in all living things. And that we, as energetic beings, can help to sort of channel that energy and provide healing touch using Reiki. So it's essentially, the actual practice of it is um, placing your hands like a gentle touch over various parts of the body with the intention to move healing energy into that person. So it's like the best way I can get people to understand it is if you've ever had an experience where you're with someone and you might say like, you know, she had really awesome energy. Like I could, I just yeah, like yeah, yeah. Could vibe on her energy yeah. versus like the extreme opposite. If someone's like in a really tough place and you're like oh i could like feel it right i could just kind of just feel some yeah. bad energy there reiki practitioners work to um, become more in tune with different energies and be able to really get in sort of a meditative space to use that energy and with intention try to share it with this energetic being that your client um, or circumstance you can even put, like shed reiki on you know if you're having trouble with co-workers or you're really worried about something that's coming up and it's really just bringing intention and bringing really positive energy towards someone or something it's often used in conjunction with other forms of medical treatment so you know like at mass general there's reiki practitioners that are on all the cancer units that work with people who are going through chemotherapy Um, it promotes relaxation it promotes like a meditative state i use it on my kids to help them go to bed uh, I use it on my dog when she gets the hiccups. Uh, I use it on nice. Keel, even if he doesn't know it. <laughs> he does know it. He's like, what are you doing? I can feel that. What are you doing? Yeah. Feel um, the energy. I yeah, use it yeah. on myself. Uh, I'm using it now with um, some of my clients at the nursing home, which is really fascinating. Mm, that's cool. With uh, All of this is with permission, obviously. Oh, yeah, I explain absolutely. what I do. Yeah. And it's not any... It's really just like a very gentle and we, it's really just connecting, grounding myself and I believe calling on this higher power, whatever you want to believe in to um, bring positive energy through me to this person. So it requires you to get into the meditative space first. Right, like you have to get to that. Yeah, kind of like it, it doesn't take too much with practice. It yeah, doesn't for take sure, very much for sure. To drop into that kind of space. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah, like I couldn't just be like, here you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It would take us a minute. Yeah, for, for sure, for sure, for sure. 
Yeah. I do believe that there is a lot of power to like the human touch, you know, yeah, whether it's absolutely. you believe it's Reiki or whether oh, it's yeah. like this transfer, whatever, you know. Um, I mean, we. I just had a, I treated your patient last night. I'm not going to mention her name because I won't violate HIPAA twice in one episode. Um, but it was funny because after she was done with me, she goes, man, how do you and Nick know exactly where to go? <laughs> and I was like, she, she's like, can you feel it? Like, can you feel where it is? And I said, oh, that's a really tough question to answer. Um, but I do feel that some people yeah, have that for sure. ability to feel, right? Whether it's a knot or whether it's like a spot that doesn't feel right, right? You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can explain it any way you like, right? Um, because she was like, man, I went to the car, not to bash chiropractors, it's not bash chiropractors, but like she was going to a chiropractor forever and getting activated forever, right? Yeah. There was no sense of touch there. There yeah, was, was no sense a, of like machine, feeling yeah. of like being like helped, right? Um, but just that one thing, and she's like 90, she yeah. she's 90, 90% better in like the, after the first session. So I really do believe that like some people have that ability and some people don't. Like some people will just like massage a muscle, just to yeah. massage a muscle. But like some people actually really can feel like whether it's, uh, you know, a restriction in the tissue or whether it's, yeah, they yeah. feel something in the tissue Soften that's up not a normal, bit, go a right? Harder. Yeah. 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 So I think that, that, that all kind of rolls into what you were saying. I always you think know? back with, with regard to touch. It was, uh, I think it was when we did the rock tape course, uh, like four years ago now. Um, he basically was like, yeah, like when you fell when you were a kid and you scraped your knee, mom came over and didn't say anything. She just started rubbing your knee and you immediately stopped crying because it felt better right away. That human touch just immediately just like took off, took the edge off the pain, yeah, the acute pain. Yeah. Brain's very powerful. Which is, yeah, oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's a, lot, there's a ton of research to support that totally. with, with, you know, and like you were saying with Reiki, it's, it's the transfer of energy. Yeah, there's transferring of these magnetic fields. So there exactly. is, yeah, there is actual science to this. So I think it's just, we'll see. Yeah. I would, my guess is over the next 20 years as we can measure this stuff a little bit better because it's, it's been for as long as human beings have been on this earth, there's been some form of like spiritual healing, touching healing. Um, I'd even argue, I actually believe I'm an eternal optimist, but I actually believe that we all have the capacity. It's just whether or not you want to take the time to start to pay attention and really listen. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure you guys have had experiences where you're with clients and your intuition tells you like, man, like they just feel like kind of sad today or like, yeah. I feel like they're not, they're really anxious about something today yeah. and they're not telling you that. Yeah. Right. But like there is something happening when For you're sure. exchanging energy with people. Yeah. And, um, and at the same time, a lot of this work has led me, and I was talking to Katie about this as well, to protect my own, right? And like, thousand percent, it happens. So You're working true. with people who, so I mean, true. I ran a cheese shop because I could yeah. not separate myself from clients that were 30 years old with this like horrific, you know, cancer, leukemia. And um, part of this practice is helping me ground and own my own energy space and make sure that I'm protecting my energy space as I work with people who are dealing with pain and dysfunction and not like I think that's connecting. that's a great point and we, we've talked about this in the past too like you do have um, for lack of better words energy suck patients right yeah. literally for suck sure. the energy no one, out no of, one listening is one of those not any of us yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, we definitely have those and we've noticed it more since going to this model right because now we're yes. spending all of this time and we're we're expending a lot of it's this energy just, and taking yeah. it back, right? So, like, yeah. 
I do, in the beginning, it was tough not to take some of that home. Like you were spent, like we'll see like eight patients in a day and we're like beat at the end of the day before we were seeing like 18, 20 plus patients. And we were like, no, not too bad. But like you didn't have to expend as much energy with some of those patients because like somebody else is doing that for you. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's different, but you're right. I think you made a good point with owning your own space and it's hard to do that. I think for some people, you know, had a hard time with it. It's practice. It takes intention. And there are, I mean, there's, I won't get into it because I could talk to you guys for hours about this stuff, but there are some (laughs) like really simple, simple strategies. Like you, whatever, like for me, I envision like an actual bubble around me, right? So when I drop into this space before I do a treatment with someone, we do a lot of breath work to just kind of clear the space and then I'll drop in and I call upon whatever I call upon a higher power to, you know, be able to provide healing energy and help this person reach their highest self and provide the greatest good in this, in this care session. And then I envision a bubble surrounding me and protecting me and it's meditation. It's Mm -hmm. all visualization. And then when it's over, there's an actual like physical practice of brushing it off, moving stuff away from the person. It's, it's, You know, and whether this is doing it or it's just that I am now cued into the, you know, mental practice of clearing yeah. it out. Um, it's it's part of the whole thing. Right. And I, I was talking to Katie about this because I specifically the reason that I got so into Reiki. I mean, I was introduced to it. I I've been really blessed to be surrounded by and a huge bunch of amazing women. I, I personally have like a huge connection in hydro with people that I've met, which is how I've stayed in shape with our crazy life, but, um, through a mom's group, which is not your typical mom's group. I mean, we would dive deep into like the meaning of life and, um, you know, we would do group meditations every other week. I meet with a small group of moms and we do meditation and we talk about this stuff and we practice different energy techniques. And a couple of the moms had, um, done some Reiki training and they would provide Reiki at the end of like a group meditation. And I was like, Whoa, this stuff is legit. And, um, that's how I got drawn to it. And I met an awesome woman in Ipswich who teaches and started my own journey. But I was like, this works hand in hand with pelvic health because, oh, so much comes up. I mean, so much comes up when you're working with people who are having pelvic dysfunction, pelvic floor dysfunction and pelvic health issues. So I wanted to be able to at least have this as an offering that I could say, if, if you're interested in this at all, if stuff starts to come up, I can implement some of these other healing modalities to help move some of this energy through, help, help it kind of move through your system and bring some lighter loving energy in, in addition to my physical therapy techniques. So um, that's kind of where this sort of blend of holistic medicine and traditional physical therapy practice is coming into my own practice it makes sense though because i mean the pelvic floor like we can't like it, it's internal sensations that you need to be in tune with and same thing like you're describing versus you know it's like i'll move your elbow okay we have some external sensations too like i feel the crease of the elbow compressing it's a little different when you talk about the pelvic floor so that is interesting what i was thinking about there too was that you know like the um the, the sense of community and, um, you know, family togetherness, things like that are super important and integral to our health. And obviously with what we've been through in the last couple of years, that has kind of been, you know, torn away a little bit to an extent. 
But I think a lot of times in our modern world, we we think because we see a lot of people that we have a strong sense of community. But you can think about a city. You can see a lot of people in a day, but have no like physical or like true intimate interaction with someone. And you perceive it, you, you know, your, your conscious perception is that, yeah, you have a strong sense of community. But in reality, if you're not having that kind of close, um, intimate type um, interaction, then it's really not as strong as you think. And that's what I what I like you, you talking about with Reiki is that it's it's hands on. It's it's we're we're getting our energies together. And not only that, but we're physically, you know, interacting and touching there, which is very interesting I'm, yeah. I'm excited i'm excited to implement it into my practice so far even just with my like wonderful the wonderful deaf community over i really just love this population yeah it's so much fun. that's awesome um it's been it's been really fascinating it's been really fascinating i mean just just really primarily in managing pain yeah absolutely and these people are on a lot of different medications yeah. and um you know that physical touch is huge do you see it working uh, almost like it, like the, the effects are elevated with, um, people in the deaf community just because, you know, a lot of times you hear about heightened senses, other senses, if someone loses one sense. So do you That's see like an question. elevation of, of the effects? I don't know if I have enough data to say okay. that, All right. but I will, I do support that their other senses are yeah, for sure. really heightened. I mean, it's for amazing. Sure. They yeah. are amazing. Yeah. No, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, I know that my younger brother has autism and he, he's largely nonverbal, but he always like loud noises or he does better with them now. But when he was younger, he could not like, he was just so hypersensitive to, to noise. Um, but so I, I, I distinctly remember that. And then, you know, volunteering in Special Olympics, I remember seeing a lot of that too, just like the heightened other senses when, with regard to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was that was pretty interesting. We haven't had a, a discussion like that. That was cool. You guys will have to come uh, oh, I love for it. some rape. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I would like to try you know, that. And I could come in and we could do some like energy clearing yeah, stuff. I, that would be cool. That there's would... some like really simple, like less than five minutes ways to yeah, just let's... boost your own energy and I love kind it. of get stuff moving in the right direction. We've we talked sh- about meditation a few times. We should do podcast. it with um, the whole crew. And yeah. just one time, like a hit, hit a you know reset. Who would, who, would, who would really get a kick out of that? You know who I'm thinking of. <laughs> She'd be all about that. <laughs> no. Taylor would not. No. Oh. That's not who I was thinking of. Oh, oh, I, I was, thought you were saying Taylor would have a hard time no, relaxing. It would be yeah. great for her. It, it would, would also, be great for her. It would she also would be struggle. great for me. Yes. Yeah. But I think uh, Megan would get a kick out of that. Oh, yeah. 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 Megan would, Megan. for sure. Yeah. Because yeah. that was who we had the yeah. in-depth conversation with in terms of meditation. Yeah. And I think it's something we don't all spend enough time on. Yeah. You know? It's been a practice. I now drop in most nights. I will say if I've had a glass of wine, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. We should have a workshop with um, you over here. And, and we should. One. That would yeah. be good. We could add some wine in. You said it doesn't work it, with wine? I don't. For me, I oh, don't. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> No, I can see that though. uh, I can see that. Yeah. yeah, It's really, it's just taking that time, whether it's yoga or for you guys, like even a hardcore weightlifting Mm. session at the end of it, you're so grounded and you're like, oh, I feel like, okay, I can do this. Right. And you've got all that 
neurochemistry working in your body and circulation and, you know, taking whatever you need to do to get to that space. And I think that for years, I probably did it with swimming and I didn't even know. I mean, face down in a pool for like two, three hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, it's a team sport, but not really. Right. And so that meditative, just like right, left, right, left, right, left. And after swimming was over, I sought yoga. I mean, I did Baptiste yoga in Boston, which is heated vinyasa and Bikram yoga up until I was like halfway through our pregnancy with Zoe and I just couldn't tolerate it anymore. And then, so I'm like, Oh wait, I'm always searching for these ways to get grounded and really check in. Like what is going on? Um, You're preaching in the choir. I mean, they'll catch me in here. Uh, sometimes after a workout, I'm upstairs laying on my back with my feet up and I'm humming. So I love, I love humming. You don't um, think walking's meditative for you though? You do that every day. I do walk. So walking is meditative like today. So some days I walk and listen to a podcast. Some days I listen to nothing and today was nothing. Um, so I just did 20 minutes of just me walking, feeling the breeze. And I actually saw a pretty cool, like pretty interesting thing above me. I, I looked up, I heard birds squawking and there was four crow chasing like a hawk. Get out it of was here. crazy. Yeah, so I, the hawk probably tried to like attack yeah. the baby crows <laughs> the baby, or something. Absolutely. And the crow, yeah. the four crows were like squawking and then the hawks like <laughs> squawking back and they're like flying away. Whoa. I was like, wow, that's pretty crazy. Um, you right. know what you find. A little tangent great. there. But um, so is there anything else that you do aside from the Reiki, you said meditation, like do you do any kind of cold exposure? Do you do any like infrared light, anything like that to kind of boost the not on a process. regular basis because um, everyone's always looking for the, I would love the, to do the, bullet, the, mm. the magic bullet so I know yeah no, I mean it really is when you ask that question like should I, I stop eating gluten and your body's <laughs> like yes you just say okay yes yeah. <laughs> but yeah. we're like no, I don't have to do that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Not gluten in particular, but we just all just for today. Totally. This is the stuff we're like. I know yeah. what I I know what this sounds like, but I really believe this that the answers we all have the answers. Yeah, you just yeah. we can be so stubborn whether or not we listen to them. For sure, and for sure, it'll just keep smacking you in the face until you finally yeah. pay attention to it. So, yeah. I think the best thing that I found is whatever you can do to get to that space where you can even spend five minutes just checking in on something that you're going through um, and just feel like you're really grounded when you ask yourself that question. So whether it's walking or weightlifting or swimming or or sitting in a meditation or doing a yoga practice. um, So all the other stuff I just kind of, you know, if I have access to an infrared sauna, I use it. If I get the guts up to take a cold shower jump in the ocean i do it <laughs> i love it <laughs> but, uh, i love it i think for me it's been mostly just dropping in to a quick meditation nice that's awesome that's awesome and uh, you know i think it's important for for people listening like that's relative right like you can drop in a little bit more efficiently than you know a lot of other people and people get frustrated with that and that was the hard thing i had when i started to try to meditate was that I was just getting frustrated, but you know, just strive for a little bit better each day. It doesn't have to be, it's not perfect. Like it's never going to be perfect. Every meditation is going to feel a little different. Some days you feel a little bit more, you know, meditative than others, but you're just trying to, like you said, kind of break away from the negative stuff, the negative energy, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And I don't look at it as like, I don't sit on the floor perfectly still. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I think whatever you can do to get yourself to that yeah, space exactly. where you can really just pay attention to that inner Absolutely. voice. Um, yeah. 
it's hard though. Yeah. It's really hard. And I, I mean, I, I talk about my mom's group, but they're a huge part of this and my therapist. So after struggling with postpartum depression after Zoe, when Sebastian was born, I was ready. I was like, okay, I'm going to go into this better this time. And I've had an amazing therapist who has helped me tremendously over the last two and a half years. And I was at one point on antidepressants and an anti-anxiety medication. And I was like, okay, I will start this because I need the Band-Aid. Because Akil yeah, had also absolutely. just started Hydro. And we were like, okay, yeah. okay. But with the plan of getting, for me, that's what I, I didn't want to stay on it if I didn't have to stay on it. But it was a ton of work. You know, it was a lot of gut-wrenching therapy sessions. Um, I'm so grateful for all of my friends and family listening, listening to me and yeah. uh, emotional roller coaster. And um, it's it's been a, a journey. I mean, he's almost four. So it's almost four years of me kind of getting to this place where I now feel like, okay, I do actually have some tools that I'm using on a regular basis. And I do feel like I'm moving forward. You know, I'm not like forward and then back and then forward and then back, which... Yeah, I get it's that. It's exhausting. Yeah. Totally. We definitely gotta have that. you come to a workshop here for that'd be awesome. You know, a lot of we try to we try to get workshops so, you know, ideally once a month, but every so often. So we'll we'll uh try to figure something out to get you to talk because I think it'd be good for a lot of our you know, our current community to hear hear that. Um, you know, and also too they they always come in and they think like Chad and I don't get hurt, although they've seen me get hurt before because I like to hurt myself. <laughs> um, but they think we That's don't true. get hurt. They think we don't ever stress. They think we don't yeah. ever, you know, yeah. so it's like, but you're, you're a physical therapist with your own therapist, right? Like oh, we absolutely. have, like it's we have our own therapist. Yeah, we have our own therapist. We have our own doctors, our own uh, coaches. So, you know, we're human too. And uh, um, if you are, if you can muster it up to take a cold shower, I strongly recommend it. Oh, are you guys why um, uh, that HIPAA patient that you talked about had like a cold bathtub forever? <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm on <laughs> I uh, I'm on day 198 straight of cold showers. Only ever cold showers? Uh, no, just just my morning shower. Oh, okay. Full full on cold though. No no hot in the morning. So just it's like a four or four or five minute shower, and it's just straight cold. And I my goal is I set out. I used to do every Monday Friday. And I set out to do 365 days straight as a mental challenge because last year during Lent, I did all of Lent cold showers and I was like, oh, okay. I thought that was going to be way worse. So then I was like, let me try to do a full year. So I started in September. So I'm, I'm on, I think one, I think today was 198. I don't know. It was but pretty sweet. We went away to Florida a couple of months ago for a conference, and I would always go in the shower after him. No steam. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. It was yeah. great. It was like the cold showers in, in Florida are great, though. Yeah. They're so easy. <laughs> They're so easy I, down there. I, I, I will say, I do love them if yeah. I can muster up I know. the... Yeah. But I also really love like a hot Epsom salt bath. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I take... Don't get me wrong. I take my hot shower at night, um, but the the, the morning you shower is... that cold shower. It's cold. Yeah, I start my day All with a right. cold shower. I'll try. I'll so try. if you want to do... A, do a cold shower in solidarity to get me through 365. Be great. <laughs> I will do that. I will do that. <laughs> Thank you. All right. You got yeah. your uh, moral of the story? Yeah. Well, I mean, do we want to do the one piece of health advice or do we? Oh, yeah, yeah. We always ask I that mean, question. we always yeah, usually we, ask that we question. We got to ask that question. Akil right. had a great one, so. Yeah. No pressure. You want to so, ask it? Yeah. So what's one piece of health advice from your experience? And maybe you've already touched on this but we'll summarize it, right? That you could offer our listeners that they could implement today. That is a good question. Yeah. 
One piece of health Just advice. Just one. You get to make it two. There could be like a one B, but like it has to be one. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't go to C. Yeah. No, no Cs. I, I'm going to stick with the theme here. I, I genuinely believe that if you're questioning something in your own system, take a quiet moment to look inside and see what your intuition tells you first. So if you're having pain, say, is this like, is this really just knee pain or something else going on here? Um, And learn to start to pay attention to those cues because it's a very simple way to start to pay attention to when something really is not right. And then you can go from there. I like that. So you hear that, everybody? Don't go to WebMD first. No, oh, please look. Yeah, first. <laughs> look inward first. Look inward. Yeah. first. <laughs> so you're starting this new practice in Newburyport. Yes. Um, let's give the listeners a little bit of information on that. Like, do you have a website? You like on IG? You have Facebook? Like, it's maybe it's your personal thing. Like, if there's anybody that keep, that wants to get in touch with you um, to ask you questions or whatever, like, is there a way that they can reach you? They can. I do have a website, and oh, everything nice. is on the website. So, um, the practice is called Elevate Pelvic Health and Wellness, but oh, the cool. website is elevate-pelvic-health.com. Okay, I'll put that in the show and notes too, just so everything is that. there. And I'm within. If you are familiar with Newburyport, I'm within the um, professional building on Forrester Street, and I am going to be subletting a room in Newburyport acupuncture. So oh, cool. So an awesome. acupuncturist who's wonderful and a massage therapist in that clinic as oh, well. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll have to keep everybody updated awesome. as to when that when that's going down. So when do you expect that to happen? I'm taking new clients in May. Yo, May. Look at that. That's next month. That's it's, next it's month. It's here. Yeah. <laughs> right around the corner. It's here. It's, it's there. Yes. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll definitely good. keep everybody updated on, Thank on you. your progress for sure. You, well, you'll have to come in yourself. Uh, yes, breaky. I will. I, I think I could use that. If anybody could use that in here, it's probably me. Maybe Taylor too, but you should probably start with me because I think I'll be a little bit easier than Taylor. (laughs) All right. So we do a moral of the story after every episode. If you listen to our podcast, you probably don't, but um, if you do listen uh, at the, at the end of, at the end of the podcast episode, we always do a moral story, like basically summarizes everything. Um, Sometimes I know what I'm going to write. Sometimes I don't typically with the guests, I don't know. And I just like, if you see me typing over here, that's typically what I'm writing. Um, not ignoring you, not like checking my email or anything like that. So, um, <laughs> so moral of the story, enjoy the journey and embrace the destination. When you get there, you never know where you will start and what obstacles in your life might get you to your ultimate goal or your destination. Take it from Megan. She graduated from PT school, then started selling cheese. Fast forward to now. She has two, two amazing children. She's married to an Olympian. And she's going to open up her own clinic. It's pretty cool. That's a far cry from selling cheese. Seriously. So I mean, she's pretty good, though. Jesus Christ. Mean, people pretty... are not upset when they're coming into <laughs> no. that cheese. Yeah. No, that's no. true. They that's have good true. energy when that's they're going true. to really, That's true. Really that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so we hope that you learned a lot from this episode. If you can take anything from this episode, it's to do you and create your own bubble so that nobody can be an energy suck or take the wind out of your sails. And if they do, shameless plug, Grab yourself a hydro. Oh, <laughs> nice. A kid will be in the water waiting for you. Thank you for joining us in the rack this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can also find us online at proformptma.com or on social media at proformptma. And remember, if you train inside the rack, you better be thinking outside the rack.